From the deck of the good ship Lollipop, it's the IGN DigiGods. Please welcome two of Shirley Temple's backup dancers, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Hey, a Shirley Temple reference. Corey, who goes deep? That was brought to you by the inimitable Garve. Wow, just one name? Really? Come on. William T. Garve Garver Garve Garvopolis Garvelaciousnessness. It's cool how I pretend to be having a conversation <laughs> with Corey. It's even cooler how you admit it. Yeah, it is. Now, it's do you admit cool. it because you know it didn't work, so you might as well just fess up to it and, and seem cool in the process? Because it's a transparent show. I understand. It's uh, purely a transparent show. Oh, Wade. Yes. So, we have some big, uh, uh, we have some big Blu-rays, Wade. We, we have one of the big Blu-rays, Wade. We got some Frankly, big... Frankly, yeah. we have a, a Blu-ray series that they should have come out with, like, last year when Blu-ray was, like, you know, maybe yeah. teetering a little bit. Like, yeah. is it going to take off? Is it not? Right. And they finally released it. Yes. Now that everyone's talking about VOD, yeah. electronic sell-through, iTunes Store, yep. Netflix, nobody cares about nope. Blu-rays anymore. Yep. But yet now they finally come out with... The movie that we almost watched instead of doing this uh, podcast, uh, The uh, the Complete uh, Adventures of Indiana Jones. Now, the first thing we have to say about this, yeah. before we say, just buy it already, what's taking you so long, is that uh, we didn't like the packaging. In point of fact, we hate the packaging. Now, we love the transfer. We, we love we the, do. Uh, yeah, it looks great, sounds great. Uh, they really did a number on this. Good luck to all of you who run up to your uh, LCD screen with a magnifying glass trying to find any kind of artifacting or edge enhancement. You're not going to find it. It's just, you know, this is like the, uh, this is as good as it gets from Paramount Blu-ray. And, and frankly, Lucasfilm Blu-ray as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, a joint effort. But um, here's what I really hate. I, I'm fine with regular Blu-ray keep cases. I'm even intermittently okay with Digipack. You know, Digipack, it's, it's plastic, it cracks, but, you know, and sometimes it breaks, but I'm okay with it. At least it protects the disc. What I'm not okay with are these, like, paper sleeves that they do in a booklet form. Where, oh, look, it's a book. Oh, isn't that clever? They made it like an old book. It's, a, it's Indiana Jones. And then you open it, and each page is a little sleeve with the disc sitting loose in it. I hate that. Well, no, the, the issue is that the disc isn't sitting loose in it. The disc is sitting tight in it. Yeah, that's, and yeah. And the problem is that in order to extract the disc from the sleeve, because it's so tightly in there, you, you you've got to like, take your fingers, yeah. your two fingers, your thumb and your and your Or surgical finger, tongs. Or surgical tongs. Yeah. And you've got to pull it out. Yeah. A, it's... I mean, it's not that much wear and tear on the disc, but you still got to force out of that sleeve. And yeah. also, your forefinger, your index finger, yeah. is getting its it's getting its fingerprints on yeah. the disc. Yes. And that's not good. So when yeah. I opened this up and I said, gosh darn it, it's one of those book thingies that yeah. I hate. I took my, uh, those uh, eyeglass cloth, eyeglass cleaner cloth, yeah. and I used that to extract the disc from the case. Yeah, indeed. I did not like that. It was, uh, it, it was an annoyance. But, uh, anyway. but everything else is great. They look great. Uh, they sound fantastic. I mean, every little, every little. Boom, boom, let, let me start gunshot. off by saying, uh, you know, you're getting this basically for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of us actually are fond of Temple of Doom. I was an usher at the Man's National in Westwood when Temple of Doom opened. I saw it four times at uh, private screenings before we even officially opened it, and then uh, I, uh, I, 
you know, basically saw that movie probably 197 times I'm over the course of its of, run. I'm a fan of Last Crusade. Don't like Last Crusade. Really? So, no, Sean not really. Connery? Not Come on, really. funny. Not so much. How dare you? Not so much. And I think we all know how we feel about Crystal Skull, which is just an abortion and an embarrassment. Um, so really, that Crystal Skull disc is not going to be getting a lot of work out as far as coming out of this case. But uh, everything The only thing about Crystal Skull, I like... Well, you know what? It's really not fair. All four discs have amazing audio. And they're all lossless. True. They're all 5.1. They're fantastic. The only reason why the Crystal Skull audio is a little bit better is just because... Well, it's digitally recorded. It's digitally recorded. It's yeah. from 2008. So it, right. it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the best of a great lot. Lots and lots and lots of on-set and behind-the-scenes stuff here. Interviews, featurettes, on a tons, special, tons and tons and tons. On a uh, fifth special. disc. Yes, on a fifth the actual disc. disc. The actual movies themselves, yes. the discs just have the movies and some theatrical trailers. That's it. So to get all the bonus stuff, there's a fifth disc. Correct. That is great. Yep, but it's loaded with stuff. I mean, look, it is a cornucopia of uh, Indiana Jones thrills and chills and all kinds of wonderful stuff. And, you know, look, I still like, uh, I I really do have a lot of fun with uh, Temple of Doom because it's basically Gunga Din. Nobody realizes that. It's a total throwback to Gunga Din. No, 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 no. no. Monkey brains. Here's the thing. Monkey brains. Whenever everybody hates something, you try to like it. I love Star Trek V. It's the best of the movies. What are you, out of your mind? I love Temple of Doom. It's the best of the Well, Indiana it's not Jones the best, films. but it, I do enjoy it. It's, it's, it's cheesy and it's campy and it's corny. You know I what? enjoy that. Uh, you know, and as we were watching the... Uh, Monkey the, brains. As, as we were watching the Blu-ray of Raiders, we, we noted this, that yeah. uh, these days, I really wonder, if you put a 15-year-old in front of Raiders of the Lost Ark, what would they think? Because I think they, they would look like old and, and boring to it them. It might, uh, you know, it's not in the age of Transformers. In the age of Transformers, what Raiders of the Lost Ark has it has a lot of charm, which the, which like Battleship, not a charming film. No, you know what I mean. Avengers, maybe a little bit, mostly because of Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, there's a little bit of charm there, but these films they're all very quick cut. They don't build. They start. No. They go zero to sixty from second one, yeah. and that's it. Raiders. A cla- an all-time classic yep. doesn't do that. Yeah, there the, we you know we were we, we were actually counting edits mm-hmm. in some of these scenes, and there's very few edits in some of these scenes. And then when there needs to be edits, like the boulder rolling, you know, yeah. at the beginning, then there are edits. It yeah. builds to something. Yeah, you don't really get that nowadays. These no, kids also, today. Michael Kahn, one man, edited the whole movie. Sure, he had some assistance, but today it's like, oh yeah, we gotta we gotta make our release date in uh, in four weeks. So uh, we're we've got uh, you know 87 editors working overtime. It's ridiculous. Wait, hang on a second. Wait. Yes. Should we talk about Titanic on Blu-ray, or should I give you this week's cookie? Oh, go ahead and give me this week's cookie. Now, you don't know. We have a Vox Box this week, too, <gasps> as well. We yes, do. we do. We have a Vox Box this week, so we'll get to that later. We've got, we got a lot of stuff to try and get through. I don't know if we'll get through it all. Uh, you know, classic movies, uh, recent movies, middle-between movies. Now, you don't know what this week's cookie More is. More television. It's just it's unbelievable. The beginning of the television season is just an onslaught. They Actually, release the, all the la- the seasons from the, the the previous seasons get released on DVD and Blu-ray, and it's just it's relentless. Actually, the thing on top, I'm big very deal. curious about. I am too. It's a big deal. Yes. Yeah. All right. So you talk about um, uh, now. You know, Titanic's already out on Blu-ray. Yes, it is. So why is that on Blu-ray? Blu-ray again? Is it because it's out on Blu-ray 3D? Yes, that would be correct. Now, do we need this on Blu-ray 3D? No, you don't need it on Blu-ray. Frankly, now this thing has four. Has, there's we could four, burn the negative, and the world would be a much happier place. There's. <laughs> There's four discs on this thing. Yep. There is a Blu-ray 3D. Mm-hmm. A bl- a uh, uh, now the Blu-ray 3D is on two is on two discs. That's how much information is packed yes. into the Blu-ray 3D. They actually yes. have to put it uh, across two discs. 
there is the regular Blu-ray features with this with the Blu-ray film with yeah. the special features on the same disc, and then on disc four there are some Blu-ray features, and uh, you know I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it, look, it 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 is a great transfer. I have to say. You know, I, yeah. I, I do think it's a great transfer. I think it looks really sharp, really crisp. There's a lot of detail, very rich colors. I really do think it looks great. Um, some of the uh, some of the uh, long shots of the ship as it's starting to sink look a little bit like, oh, this was shot in a tank. It has that kind of feel to it, which might be more testament to the lighting than anything else. But still, I have to say that it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful transfer. Now, the... Um, the special features are also great. Now you have to kind of decide if you want to if you want to save your previous mm-hmm. Blu-ray. Um, but I don't know, man. You know, if you here's I, the thing. I, I if, if you don't own Titanic and you want it on Blu-ray, I I, I would go for this one. There, it, a lot of stuff, but not anything that's really uh, earth-shattering as far as the extras are concerned. There is a, uh, a deleted scenes segment with uh, James Cameron commentary. I have to say, there is so much deleted material in this movie, and none of it is really all that impressive. Uh, a lot of it, I have, almost all of it, I, I actually previously saw, because a good friend of ours, who was a, a film school colleague of mine, at one point years ago produced an interactive Titanic historical uh, disc for Fox Interactive, which used all of this additional material in the interactive disc. So it's it's not like it hasn't been out there in various forms and available for people to see over and over and over and over again. And honestly, you know, I'm not a fan of the movie, so it, less is more where this is concerned. That is true. But uh, on the um, on <clears throat> disc one, just to remind people, on disc one of the, of the 3D feature, there are uh, a couple of special features, but they're all from the 2005 release. There's a James yeah. Cameron audio commentary, there's a cast and crew audio commentary, and there is a... Uh, commentary with two historians but they're all older they're all from 2005 it's, it's disc four that has all the new stuff and some of the new stuff is very short um some of it's like less than a minute actually a lot of it's less than a minute but all of it uh, you know it highlights another you know like the way they did like another particular shot uh you know a ship exterior or or like the engine room shot or whatever yeah so um anyway uh i would say that if you don't own titanic on blu-ray you should go get this one if you do then you don't really have to upgrade unless you really want all the extras because you love the movie so much. Brilliant. Wait a second. Wait. You, you talk. I'm going to get you your cookie. Okay, fine. Which you don't know what it is because I don't tell you what it is before I bring it out. All right. Well, while you're getting the cookie, I will, uh, I will roll through some other stuff. You know, we, uh, we did a giveaway some time back for uh, three titles that they, <laughs> they actually gave to our, our listeners, but they never sent them to us. So they finally sent us this trilogy, uh, trilogy this trio. Uh, Disney did, and it is uh, the Sister Act films, 1 and 2, Newsies and Evita, all of them on Blu-ray. So we finally get to make a comment on this. The uh, anniversary edition of Evita, I, uh, Mark talks about movies that nobody else likes that I seem to like in a contrarian way. This is one of them. Uh, Evita was actually my favorite film of the year when it was released. I still think it's great. I am a huge Alan Parker fan, unapologetically. Not a fan of Madonna as an actress, but I will be, I'll be really fair. She nailed it on this. I thought she knocked it out of the park and, and deserved all the accolades that she got. This is a terrific film. Alan Parker has always been great with musicals. Um, how is it on, D- on Blu-ray? It's fine. Uh, D- Disney just kind of uh, spat these out, you know, not with a, a great deal of effort. And uh, they're kind of uh, treated in that catalog fashion. So it's, uh, 
I'm hoping that a better edition of the Vita will show up at some point. It's, you know, better, obviously, than the DVD, but not by a grand margin. Uh, Sister Act, what can I say? This is the 20th anniversary edition of the first film and then the second film that never needed to exist. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo no, it's pack. also a Broadway show. You know, there's a Sister Act I Broadway know, show. I know, which I haven't seen and don't have any interest in seeing. And uh, same thing here. You know, Sister Act is a cute film. I think it dates very poorly. Sister Act 2 is just an absolutely pointless sequel. But there's no other way they're going to get any money out of it unless they package it uh, on the Blu-ray. No one's going to buy it separately. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, Newsies, which was maligned at the time. Uh, you know what? Kenny Ortega went on to direct such classics as uh, High School Musical. And I have to say, uh, I really actually enjoy uh, Newsies. I really do. I admit it. Uh, Christian Bale, before he was Batman, when he was kind of in that in-between phase, trying to outgrow uh, Empire of the Sun and yet become an adult actor. He was kind of a teen actor for a moment, and uh, nobody cared. That's what he did in Newsies. And uh, you know what? I, I, I like it. The whole thing about Newsies is fun. And uh, people rip on this movie really unfairly, I think. It's, uh, it is not cool. Alan Menken's music, which this was, you know, he was doing all the animated Disney stuff at the time, and uh, jumped into this one little live action bit here, and it's terrific. A lot of fun. Um, I, uh, so I thoroughly enjoy that. Jack Feldman, not such a great lyricist, but that's okay. Menken's music holds it up. The, the choreography, very Kenny Ortega, very stiff, but that's fine. The setting is great. It takes place, you know, uh, during the, the great era of the Newsies when you had people like uh, Pulitzer and all these big newspaper barons and uh, everything is kind of, you know, dusty and turn-of-the-century feeling. It's terrific. I really enjoyed it. So uh, it's not a great Blu-ray like the others. It feels kind of, uh, you know, like a... It, like the, the, somebody just... The, the monkey, the transfer monkey just kind of threw the switch. But it's okay. It's okay. The, it's worth having on Blu-ray. And then we also have a trilogy of... Uh, a trilogy. I keep saying trilogy. A trio. A trio of sensational movies from the Paramount catalog. While Paramount this week was occupied with uh, releasing films like Titanic 3D and uh, Indiana Jones, uh, they allowed some of their better catalog titles to be released by the wonderful Olive Films. And Olive keeps getting great stuff. Let me tell you what we got here, Mark. You ready for this? You ready for this? No. Listen to this. All of these, these are all Blu-rays. And they also come out on. They also are available on DVD. But these are Blu-rays, all of films from the Paramount Library. They come with sleeves, little cardboard sleeves, very sophisticated, nice artwork, beautifully done. We have Orson Welles' Macbeth. Come on, give it up for Orson Welles' Macbeth. You ever seen Welles' Macbeth? Yes, that well, many years ago. It's now. brilliant. Yes. It's just genius. This, along with Roman Polanski's Macbeth, they're like the definitive Macbeths. They're great. How about Bobcat Goldthwait's Macbeth? Uh, you know what? Not bad. It's really? probably third. Interesting. Uh, this is a sensational film, uh, not obviously the entire play. It's, it's truncated in very smart ways, but beautifully shot. John L. Russell, who would later do Psycho, um, is, is just an extraordinary cinematographer. This is just a fabulous Shakespearean adaptation, really, really good. Um, and one of the best films that Orson Welles ever made, for sure. And then we also have... Uh, a couple of uh, Oscar-winning Best Actor performances here. One is uh, Jose Ferrer in Cyrano de Bergerac, which, uh, i got to be honest, the French-language Cyrano with uh, Gerard Depardieu is a far better film, far more faithful, unbelievable movie, really epic, really sprawling. But nonetheless, uh, this 1950 production in English is not bad, and uh, Jose Ferrer is quite good in it. It dates a little bit, uh, but it's still enjoyable, and uh, you know it's kind of a you know decent uh, adaptation uh, screen. 
screenplay adaptation by Carl Foreman from the play. And then my favorite of this lot is uh, A Double Life with Ronald Coleman, which uh, won him a Best Actor. And my father always loved Ronald Coleman. He was, he was my father's favorite actor from that era. And it's something I never really understood as I, until I got a lot older. And you realize what an amazingly nuanced, smart actor Ronald Coleman was. Not a, a huge movie star, per se. Not somebody that really packed him in at the era, uh, during the era, like uh, you know Clark Gable and... Uh, a lot of the other big stars, you know, Humphrey Bogart. But uh, this is from 1947, and uh, you realize Ronald Coleman was like an actor ahead of his time. He really was. He was. Uh, he, he just. He, he was like a modern day actor. There's a. There is nuance, and there's an awareness of the camera, and the smallness, the minutia of his performances. Really, a, an extraordinary actor, and somebody that, uh, if you're interested in acting, you want to watch Ronald Coleman, especially in a Double Life. Really, just an outstanding film, um, and uh, directed by George Cukor. Worth pointing out. Some, you know, almost two decades before he directed uh, My Fair Lady and finally won himself an Oscar. So, a Double Life. Really, a really a great film. One of those just. You know, and by the way, co-written by uh, Ruth Gordon. Really? Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanan. The Ruth Gordon. The Ruth Gordon. From Harold and Maude. From Harold and Maude when she was uh, a dazzling screenwriter before she became a crazy old lady. Yeah, we, we like her more as a crazy old lady. We do, but she was once an amazing screenwriter. Wait, here you go. That's what I have for you today. Um, Tell the people what it is. It looks like, uh, well, they look like, what is it? There's a German on. name for this. It's like something kuchel. No, it's biscotti. Biscotti? Oh, is that what it is? It's yes. biscotti. Okay, it, never hang mind. Hang on. Stop, stop. Don't eat that yet. There's two pieces of biscotti. One of them is dipped in something creamy looking. The other one's dipped in chocolate. It, these are, it is pistachio, dried cranberries, and white chocolate biscotti. One is dipped in white chocolate, more white chocolate. And the other is dipped in, uh, in uh, regular chocolate. How do I eat these? Do I eat the, the non-dip have half you first? Never, have you never eaten a biscotti before? I'm not really a fan of biscotti. Ugh, God. But, but, for the, but the, for the sake of this podcast and for your integrity as a chef, why not? Yeah. I, I brought this biscotti to... You're not supposed... Oh, my God. What am I doing? Out of your mind. No? Are you wrong? <laughs> There's no wrong. No oh. right or wrong way. But most people, they... Uh, no, most people take it in their hand in the undip side... So that they can eat the dip side first. You put it in your undip. Ah, forget it. <laughs> By the way, I brought this biscotti to... Uh, Saving the best for last. Good spin. By the way, I, I brought this biscotti to uh, my local watering hole, which is like 500 feet from where I live. I said, hey, I, sometimes I bring them uh, uh, stuff I bake and I get free drinks. In the, it's a great bargain. And they went nuts over this biscotti. Now... Some of them went nuts over it because biscotti is really made to be dipped in coffee. Like you have your coffee and your biscotti, which I don't drink coffee and neither do you. So you have to enjoy it as biscotti. So biscotti, it's a biscuit. It's just it's a little drier than a cookie. But uh, that you look like you're not even remotely enjoying that. It requires a great deal of chewing. Well, <laughs> well I thought a biscotti is drier. It is not as moist mm. as a cookie. I like moist cookie. Do you not want to eat? You don't have to. You don't have to eat that one. Oh, I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> You're just not gonna like it. Right, fine. I'm gonna eat it. You're damn right. I'm gonna eat it. Well, you, I, I'd rather oh. have you eat it because you like it. Not eat it. Not talk about football. Uh. It's football season, by the way. Are you ready for some football? I'm not. Um, all right, we have two UCLA three and zero. Yeah, Bruins. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, we have two football DVDs, not Blu-rays. Come on. Come on, NFL Films, get it together. Why are these on DVD? You know why these are probably on DVD? Because uh, football, a very working class kind of a game, and they probably figure that the average football fan does not own a Blu-ray player. 
Although they do own big train TVs. Yeah, they do, which is just bizarre, which they use to watch football. Mm. Uh, anyway, San Francisco 49ers, team of the 80s, is one of the uh, DVDs on offer. Now, the uh, 49ers, they won uh, four Super Bowls in the 80s, including 1990, which is considered the 80s. They won in, I think it was 82, 85, 89, and 90. And uh, that was the Joe Walsh era, and they were amazing. The West Coast offense, it was a total dynasty. They were fantastic. And this uh, NFL Films uh, DVD is all about their uh, their run in the 90s. Uh, there's bonus content in here, including two full games, one Super Bowl uh, 16 and the other the 1981 NFC Championship game, which was also great. So that's um, the San Francisco 49ers team of the 80s. Next we have um, the Pittsburgh Steelers behind the steel curtain. Now, for those who don't know, the um, in the seventies, during the Terry Bradshaw era, the Steelers, they were it, working class town, when steel I, when, town. I, I, it was unbelievable. Everyone, the Steelers were just the thing. They were the thing, and they were great. They had an amazing defense. They had Terry Bradshaw's quarterback. I mean, Chuck Knoll was amazing. Mean Joe, remember Mean Joe Green? Mean Joe Green, Do fantastic. I ever. He was on every commercial. Yes, he was. And uh, this is a uh, DVD that is all about the uh, Steel Curtain teams of the seventies. Uh, Bonus content includes uh, a, the AFC Championship game from 74 and the, uh, the Immaculate Reception game from 1972. So those are two football DVDs, the second one, the Pittsburgh Steelers behind the steel curtain. Check them all out uh, if you're a football fan. If not, then uh, keep watching baseball like I am. Totally. <laughs> all right. A few more other classic movies to roll through real quickly. Um, one other one from the um, Paramount Library. Boy, that is dry, isn't it? Yes, it's supposed that, to be that dry. Skibisky or whatever it's called. It's a bit. You, do you do you, do you not know what no? Uh, let me try that again. Do you not know what a biscotti is? Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, Have I you never I, eaten a biscotti? I think I had it once or twice. You got to be kidding! It was too dry. Well, these are pretty good. Well, that's a biscotti. Yeah. What okay. you just had is a biscotti. All right, it's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I see. I'm willing to accept the fact that you just don't like biscotti. Yeah, that's more fine. than I can accept the fact that you don't like what I made. Sure. <laughs> Uh, whatever we get to through the night? Whatever we get to. From uh, 1961, a, uh, a fascinating film that probably falls under a lot of people's radar. Worth checking out, though, because Jeffrey Hunter, Captain Christopher Pike, is, uh, is in it, along with um, the wonderful and spectacular Stella Stevens. And, this was ac- and David Jansen, of course. This was actually uh, Edmund O'Brien directed this, former you know, actor Edmund O'Brien. This was his um, second effort as a director and last... And it's basically a heist film. It's called Man Trap. M-A-N hyphen T-R-A-P. Ooh, Man Trap. You Star Trek fans. See, there's another Star Trek reference there. You know it. That's right, the Man Trap. Uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the creature. Ah! That's the sound that Kirk makes when it, it puts its little, uh, so little suctiony hands on his face. So lame. Ah! I'll never forget that. I remember watching that as a kid and thinking, it's kind of creepy, but that's a bad scream. Uh, anyway, this is a, it's a heist film, you know. Um, it doesn't really do anything that you haven't seen in other heist films, but Stella Stevens is just really, really good in this. Uh, she is hysterical. She's the, the wife from hell, and uh, you you got to see it just for Stella Stevens, really. There's no other reason to see it. Beautifully shot, nice black and white, good Blu-ray. And then we got a bunch of great films from the uh, Warner Archive collection. Uh, one is The Wrath of God, starring Robert Mitchum and Rita Hayworth and Frank Langella and John Colicos. And Victor Buono. What kind of cast is that? 
Seriously, Robert Mitchum, along with Rita Hayworth and Frank Langella, who's like 10 years old at the time, John Colicos, who, of course, we all know as, as Baltar from Battlestar Galactica, and Victor Buono, who, of course, is King Tut from Batman. What a bizarre movie this is. By the way, did, did you get my email a couple of days ago? You did not respond to it. Uh, which about email? The, about the Google Kevin Bacon game? Yeah, whatever. Oh, come on. All right. You, uh, no, you know what it is? If, 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 oh, if you all don't know. Um, Google now has a Kevin Bacon, a Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game. Mm-hmm. What you do is you type in, actually, you know what? Keep talking. I'll, I'll tell you what to type in. I have, uh, I, have, okay. I have to look it up. Anyway, this is 1972. Obviously, the beginning of Frank Langella's career, the end of Rita Hayworth's career, and uh, kind of, you know, uh, closer to the end than the beginning for uh, Robert Mitchum. Although not. Oh, too, stop. Okay, know. who cares? Yeah. Okay. So go to Google. You type in mm-hmm. bacon number, right? Yeah. Just bacon number, and then any actor you can think of. And the whole idea is to obviously try to stump it so that it's like, you know, six degrees, eight degrees, 20 degrees. Like, I would, I, I played with this thing. I typed in bacon number Clara Bow. Yeah. One of, you know, one of the original silent yeah. stars, one of the original screen sweethearts. And it was, the bacon number was like two. Right. But I typed in bacon number Justin Bieber. Yeah. And the number was four. So give me a, Ronald Ronald Coleman. Sure. Let's see what the bacon number is. I'll bet you it's two. Now, this is, by the way, this is... Uh, I'll bet you Ronald Coleman acted in the movie with somebody who was young who wound up getting old and acted with Kevin Bacon. I bet you it's two. The Ronald Coleman bacon number. Now, this is how it works. I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, okay. it's part of Google now. It's like it is a, it is a thing. That's fabulous. Ronald Coleman's bacon number is three. Our show is almost halfway done, you so know. So what? Ronald Coleman and <laughs> Shelley Winters appeared in A Double Life. Shelley Winters and Chris Penn appeared in The Pickle. Chris Penn and Kevin Bacon appeared in Footloose. So Ronald Coleman's bacon number is three. That's the way they connect it? Wow. That's hey, look, it. I, I bet but, I could But do the better. thing is that this is actually part of Google's functionality. Yeah. Look at that. I know. It's the greatest thing ever. Bacon number and then any actor. Okay. May I finish? <laughs> uh, wrap give, me, give, give, me, give me one more. Act. Okay. One more. Hang on. No, you talk. I'll, I'll find an actor and I'll... Okay. Uh, so Robert Mitchum, Wrath of, Wrath of God. Basically, it's a, it's a period film. Takes place in South America. Robert Ooh, Mitchum's here's a, a good one. Eric Idle. He's a Idle. priest with a switchblade in his crucifix on a mission. Oh, God. Eric Idle. His bacon number is only two. I was brilliant. Eric Idle and John Cleese appeared in The Life of Brian. John Cleese and Kevin Bacon appeared in The Big Picture. There you go. Damn. May I give you another one? Go. Uh, Buster Keaton. You know what? I did Buster Keaton. Yeah. It was because Buster, you know, when Buster Keaton was older, yeah. he did a couple of cameos in yeah. films of the 50s and 60s. Funicello. No. Uh, his bacon number is two. This is, how, this is how they break it down. Really? Buster Keaton and Patty McCormick appeared in The Adventures no of Huckleberry Finn. Patty McCormick and Kevin Bacon appeared in Frost Nixon. Oh, that's interesting. Boy, they really, mmm. I love the bacon number. The, best. Uh, the, the only thing I love more than the bacon number. Wow. The only thing I love more than the bacon number mm. is actual bacon. Yeah, that may be. And then we've got a very bizarre film from uh, 1969, directed by Don Taylor. This is called The Five Man Army. That is with a number five. Uh, you ever heard of this with Peter Graves? Oh, Peter Graves. Bacon number, Peter. Everybody oh, you geez, mentioned. Here we go. <laughs> Peter this is uh, this is a this two. Is, yeah, Peter Graves and Betsy Palmer appeared in The Long Gray Line. Betsy Palmer and Kevin Bacon appeared in Friday the 13th. This is kind of like a like a low level uh, dir- uh, kind of Dirty Dozen slash um, Magnificent Seven with Peter Graves and set during the Mexican Revolution, and uh, you know it's whatever it's it's very it's very um, shall we say second tier um, spaghetti western. 
And the only reason that this so is... So it's a, more like a ramen western. Yeah, kind of like a ramen western. The only thing that makes this even remotely interesting is the fact that the screenplay was co-written by Dario Argento, for those of you that care. Which means it's lame in my book. And then lastly, we got two sensational, unbelievably awesome, awesome, awesome archive releases here. Volumes 4 and 5 of Forbidden Hollywood. We have talked about the uh, previous volumes here. And this is all uh, pre-code stuff. Really cool uh, pre-code classics from the Warner Brothers Library before everybody started you know, giving you a guilt trip about the themes and the characters that you had in your movies and whether it was appropriate or not. And, and pre-code films are just an absolute blast. Uh, volume 4 includes the films Jewel Robbery, Lawyer Man, Man Wanted, and They Call It Sin. Name one I, person in, this, in one of those movies. Name one. Um, uh, 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 how about Dick Powell? Dick Powell. Or, I'm sorry, not Dick Powell. William Powell. Watson. Who's actually in two of them. William Powell. William Powell. William Powell's bacon number is two. No kidding. William really? Powell and Betsy Palmer, who we mentioned before, appeared yeah. in Mr. Roberts. There you go. Betsy Palmer and Kevin Bacon appeared in Friday the 13th. Now, Dick Powell. Ah, oh, yeah, Dick Powell. Dick Powell's bacon number is three. Uh-huh. Dick Powell and Gloria Stewart. Appeared in Gold Diggers of 1935. Gloria Stewart and Bill Paxton appeared in Titanic. Nice. Bill Paxton and Kevin Bacon appeared in Apollo 13. You know, in 150 years, this is going to be very hard to do. Uh, well, no, it's 150. Look, it's 150 years now. I know. Buster Keaton and, and Kevin volume, Bacon. Volume 5 of Forbidden Hollywood includes the films Hard to Handle, Ladies They Talk About, The Mind Reader, and Miss Pinkerton. And uh, so while we're at it, why not uh, look at Barbara Stanwyck? See where, see where she falls into this. See, now all of a sudden, yeah, you're into the not? Bacon number. You know, no, you for, try to be too for, cool yeah. to school, and the too cool for school. Miss Pinkerton. Miss Pinkerton stars uh, Joan Blondell. That's an interesting one. Let's see where Joan Blondell falls in this. Um, try it. Come on, try it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, would help if you spelled if I spelled Blondell right. Well, while you're looking for this, I'm just going to say Barbara Stanwyck and Ladies They Talk About is probably my favorite of any of these. James Cagney is is also in uh, Hard to Handle, which is a, a minor Cagney, but uh, Barbara Stanwyck. It, it just there was never anybody greater in pre-code films. Uh, for just all of the nuance and the innuendo. Ooh, and who two. Just, hey. Joan, Joan Blondell. Blondell and Robert Wagner appeared in Death at Love House. Robert Wagner and Kevin Bacon appeared in Wild Things. There you go. Why is he in Wild Things? That's see, weird. See, here's the thing. See, during the studio system, mm-hmm. when actors and directors and writers would just do whatever the studio, you know, That's it. actors were just assigned, they were signed by studios, and they would do 57 movies a year. Whatever the studio had them do that week, they had to do. So you've got like dozens and dozens and dozens of possibilities for Kevin Bacon connections. Very true. Because, you know, you're talking about some of these actors during the studio system. They worked with everybody. Well, Ladies They Talk About, Barbara Stanwyck, that is the, uh, that is the one of all the pre-code films that I think is, uh, is really, really just an enormous amount of fun. So we're going uh, to hit some music now and then uh, get into some uh, more recent films. Uh, some really big recent films that are that are out this week, but as far as music, Mark, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, I've got Katy Perry, uh, part of me, the movie, on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy combo pack, and they brag about the fact that it got an A from Cinema Score and that it's certified fresh from Rotten Tomatoes right there because they know that this is people are going to look at this and go Katy Perry. Ew, but CinemaScore A, Rotten Tomatoes certified fresh, that's a way of just begging the person who sees this on the shelf to say, no, really, seriously, we're not kidding. You'll like the Katy Perry movie. You really will. Just give it a shot. They're begging you to take her seriously. And you know what? It's a good movie. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm even saying that because when I went into this thing, I'm like, Katy Perry, 3D concert movie by the idiots who made the Justin Bieber movie? Really? Are you going to really inflict this, like, vomitous bubble gum and, and candy-colored craziness on me? And honestly, it's a terrific movie. And in large part because it's r- nakedly honest. During the course of the tour that this film captures, um, that's when her marriage to Russell Brand fell apart. And that part of the movie is so emotionally honest and it's so devastating watching her fall apart, watching her break into tears literally inches from going out on stage and just com- uh, just inconsolable and then yet pull it together and get on the little elevator and go up on the stage and fake that smile and put on a show. You, you cannot help but be impressed by that stuff. So I applaud the filmmakers who are all you know reality TV people in the first place, so they kind of know how to do this thing. But I applaud them for actually really making this film you know honest and not just a, a puff piece. Uh, Katy Perry, part of me, the movie, and you don't need to see it in 3D, honestly. And this is not a 3D disc, so you know you're you're better off. I just want to know whether CinemaScore has ever yes. been used. As a promotional tool to sell a movie. N- not to my knowledge. That may be the first time that anyone's put CinemaScore on, on, the, on the cover of a DVD or a Blu-ray. That's bizarre. And certified fresh. I, I've tomatoes. never seen that either. And I by know. the way, that's not that's actually on the cover. That's not like you know they, they wrap it in cellophane. No, no, and sometimes no. It's not they, on the they, back. They, it's not a sticker. stickers on it. No, it's printed. It's always going to be there. Yes. Wade. I'm going to finish this Scabooty now. What's this, Scooby Snack? Is that what this is? <laughs> Scooby Snack. All right, let's do some uh, music. Edit James. You know, when my, uh, when, when my friend uh, uh, Pamela, one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Pamela, got married, she got married a little later in life. Later in life, let's just say. And uh, because she got married a little later in life, uh, when she walked down the aisle, uh, she walked down the aisle to Edit James' most famous hit, At Last. No kidding. That is true. I was the, uh, I was the uh, maid of honor at her wedding. You were the maid of honor? Uh, me and Zach both uh, walked her down the aisle at her wedding. So technically, we, we gave her away. Wow. Zach and I both gave her away at her wedding. Okay. Anyway, Etta James is, um, is obviously uh, an all-time uh, class. She, actually, she died in January, which is a big shame. I but um, her career spans, goes all the way back to 1938. But um, here we have Etta James live at uh, Montreux, another uh, Blu-ray in the Montreux uh, Music Festival series. This is from 1993. And uh, all of her big hits are here. And this obviously this covers a whole bunch of uh, mantras that she had done, going all the way back to um, 1975, and uh, it's great. A lot of her classic songs are here, and uh, the Blu-ray is mostly on the 1993 performance, so that's where the video looks the best. But still, if you love her, you will definitely love Etta James Live at Montreux 1993. Uh, David Bowie, The Calm Before the Storm, under review, 1969 to 1971, is a terrific DVD. Not a uh, Blu-ray. And uh, this one uh, documents Bowie's career from kind of the beginning. You know, he first started recording kind of like in the early, kind of mid-ish 60s, like 1964. But uh, with Space Oddity in 1969, he really kind of started to hit the mainstream. So this DVD here, The Calm Before the Storm, charts him from 1969 to 1971. And uh, there's a lot of great interviews from here, including a lot of the people he played with during that time, including his drummer, his guitarist, a uh, couple, um, couple early mentors, DJs. And so if you want to know what Bowie was like when he was just on the cusp, we're talking like, like Hunky Dory era, Man Who Sold the World, Space Oddity, then you should really check out The Calm Before the Storm, David Bowie. Um, live at Astoria, The Groundhogs. The Groundhogs... 
probably my favorite band, and I have to say this is not my favorite DVD uh, because it only really has like 10 songs on it, but uh, this was shot in 1998. This is the first Groundhog show ever to be filmed, and uh, they were um, promoting their album Hogs and Wolves Clothing. And, um, you know, I did like Hogs and Wolves Clothing because it was kind of a tribute to Howlin' Wolf, who's like awesome. But uh, these guys generally were not really my favorite. But uh, the Groundhog's Live at Astoria has about 10 songs on it. And uh, I doubt anybody will ever rent or buy that. Now, the big... That is awesome, by the way. That is awesome what you big, have in hand right now. <laughs> the big uh, music DVD of the week is by far... This should be, this should be on Blu-ray, man. That's, it, that's I know ridiculous. it should. I was thinking the same thing. I just don't know why they didn't put Queen Greatest Video Hits on Blu-ray. Mastering would have been more expensive. To remaster all that stuff because a lot of these are, you know, they're not in high def. You would actually have to go back to some of these original. A lot of these elements were video too, so they'll never be high def. But still, it should it should have been just for the lossless audio. It should have been uh, should have been Blu-ray. I mean, this is two yeah. discs now. Queen, they were one of the first, you know, really really cool video bands totally. during the MTV era. Totally. And you've got, I mean, come on, man. Oh. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody, another one bites the dust. Bicycle Race, mm-hmm. uh, Crazy Little Thing oh, Called yeah. Love, Somebody to Love. Oh, I love it. Flash, Flash Gordon, We Will Rock You. I love it. Radio That's Gaga. Awesome. Now, Radio Gaga, for those who don't know, uh, I'm not quite sure I believe the story, but supposedly Lady Gaga got her name from the Queen song Radio Gaga. That is what I have heard. I've heard that too. Uh, is that true? Don't know. Ultimately, uh, Under Pressure, and uh, there's a couple little kind of lamer ones later on, but generally you've got at least... 20 to 23 great old school videos of great songs. And mm-hmm. I cannot recommend highly enough renting, or if you're a fan, buying Queen Greatest Video Hits. The uh, video and uh, audio quality, I mean, the audio quality is fine. The video quality is okay. Yeah. Cause that, cause, again, because they're so old. I'm going to blow through a few docs real quickly, and then we'll do the Vox Box and wrap wait, things out. Uh, uh, wait. Uh, uh, yes. I'm, that, do, I'm, I'm doing this. You're doing those, and I'm doing these. Well, what what happened to all the, the new movies you wanted we're, we'll to talk get, about? We're getting to them. Okay. We, uh, you know, there's a lot of important stuff. Look, freaking Ghost of the Abyss in 3D. I mean, we we got to give James Cameron the uh, the full 3D treatment this week because he did. We got the Titanic 3D and we got Ghost of the Abyss 3D, and uh, that's of course you know James Cameron's uh, where he j- he just can't leave the damn wreck alone, so he's got to go make a 3D movie about his exploring of the wreck. Uh, you know what? It's it's perfectly fine. I don't. I'm not as offended by this because it's not uh, narrative. And Cameron really does the nonfiction thing. I think a lot better than other people do. So he, uh, it, you know what? But 3D does it need to be 3D? I don't know. Some people really really like the fact that it immerses you in the wreck and that there's a whole 3D aspect to it, but, um, you know, I don't know that it, uh, it makes that much of a difference. Uh, this is a combo disc, Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray and DVD, all of them in one set. And uh, then we also have Paradise Lost 3 Purgatory uh, by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. If you haven't followed this, this is uh, the third in their trilogy of films about the West Memphis Three, who finally were, in fact, found innocent. And the extraordinary thing about this trilogy of films is that it's taken them like 20 years to actually put this uh, trilogy of films together. And in point of fact, they basically are the ones who wound up getting innocent people freed from prison. And uh, the story is amazing. Uh, if you have uh, Paradise Lost 1 and 2, you've got to get the third because it completes the story. And it's just one of the most extraordinary documentary achievements ever. Not a great documentary in terms of style, but in terms of what the documentary does in a very workmanlike fashion. That It's, it's sort of like presenting a case 
Um, really amazing. And uh, my pick of the week as far as documentaries is concerned is The Art of Rap. You're never going to believe this because this is a movie directed by Ice-T. Ice-T's never made a movie before. And uh, is this a really sophisticated documentary? No, not by a long shot. But you know what it is? It's incredibly honest and inside. Um, he doesn't hit everybody in the rap world, obviously. There's still a little bit of uh, bad blood with the, you know some rappers. And uh, he doesn't go, for example, to talk to... Uh, you know, anyone that he has, uh, shall we say, oh, uh, I don't know, uh, LL Cool J issues with. But, um, you know, they, they were rivals as rappers, and now they're rival TV cops. It's the weirdest thing in the world. But anyway, Ice-T basically went and dug up all of his, his you know, his buddies, and that includes, you know, uh, all the, the Run DMC guys and salt and Peppa and uh, Eminem and uh, Dr. Dre and on and on and on and on. And everybody shows up in this thing, and they all talk about what makes rap an art and what their process is and how they, you know, what's meaningful to them and what isn't. And it's really an incredibly insightful film because he talks the talk. You know, they're not. This isn't some very academic film about rap that uh, you know just tries to sort of crawl inside it in a very uh, esoteric, you know, uh, Upper East Side way. This is you know down and dirty. This is rappers talking to rappers about rap, and it is it is so illuminating, and it is such a good film. And I just can't say enough about it. It's a really really sharp film. And the greatest thing about this, he doesn't turn the camera off when he's talking to people on the street, and like some goop some goofballs want, walk up and try to get in on the camera. He leaves that in the movie. It's still there. It's real, man. It's real, this man. This for real. He keeps it real. He God. keeps it real. So The Art of Rap is a terrific film. And then lastly, on Blu-ray, uh, produced by George Martin. You know what? If you don't know the name George Martin, you are just totally missing out. George Martin is like the great record producer uh, of all time. And uh, this is a terrific Blu-ray that just goes into everything that he did, who he was, where he came from, what this turned into him. And then, bam. He signs this uh, this strange, weird, unknown group of uh, four kids called the Beatles, and everything just falls to pieces. That's where his career ended. Not even close. Uh, really a terrific documentary about an amazing music figure who oftentimes is overshadowed by the people that he produced. But really a, a great Blu-ray, great just everything about it. Really just a lot of fun, nicely done, uh, very sharp, good, solid British uh, documentary filmmaking. Speaking of uh, British documentaries. Yes. Yes. We have a strange little uh, number here called Holy Flying Circus. Now, uh, for Mighty Python fans, um, of which I am one, now in 1979, the uh, uh, Monty Python came out with a film called Life of Brian, which at the time a lot of people considered fairly blasphemous, even though it was hilarious. And the Python troupe in 1979 actually agreed to go on the uh, talk show Friday night, Saturday morning and debate. There was a debate. Between John Cleese and Michael Palin, members of Monty Python, and um, Malcolm uh, Muggeridge and Mervyn Stockwood, who at the time was the Bishop of Southwark. And so there was a debate. On, so, it all in sounds 19- so English. I know. It was a debate on Friday night, Saturday morning uh, in 1979 between the members of uh, Monty Python and a bishop. So this movie, Holy Flying Circus, is like a weird just psycho animated crazy surrealistic mashup of genres that chronicles this debate that really did take place and i have to say that my only issue with it is that the actual debate itself is would have been i would imagine way more interesting to see than 
Monty Python's mm-hmm. crazy, you know, Terry Jones, Terry Gilliam, crazy version of it. But in this little tiny, uh, you know, this little tiny piece of Python history, which a lot of people don't remember, it is kind of illuminating. It was uh, written by Tony Roche, who wrote In the Loop. And In the Loop is a film that I absolutely love. It I know. Is you like it more than I and do. hilarious, and I just love that movie so much. Well, you know, that, that, uh, the, the guy who directed that, uh, directed that uh, Ianucci, yeah. whatever his name is, he's the one who does uh, Veep. Oh, yeah. The uh, Julie Weed yeah, sure, uh, sure. show on HBO. Sure. Anyway, so uh, Holy Flying Circus is um, it's a very interesting story told the Monty Python way, which means that it's crazy, although I kind of uh, wish that I, they would have uh, included the entire actual debate. Anyway, also on the documentary front, we have Comic-Con, episode four of Fans Hope. Now, this one, mm. this is a Morgan Spurlock film. And it is all about uh, the San Diego Comic Con culture. It's kind of it's kind of loosey goosey. I think this is it's a little bit of a puff piece to me. It's a little whatever. bit of a puff piece, but you know, you know what? What uh, it's interesting. There's a couple things interesting about the film, which I, th- I think is, a, is generally a good film. Although I I don't disagree with Wade. You know, is that I like how they get into how this thing that the fans genuinely loved so much became co opted by all these corporate interests. And, you know, their love for these characters that were so genuine yeah. wound up being grist for the corporate mill. I hear you. You know, and they, the film does get into that a little bit. But, yes, there are no surprises. But, uh, you know what? I think if, if you're a casual fan, do you hear those dogs? I do. It, it, and I'm trying to ignore it. Okay. It's really kind of psychotic. It's, it's a high-tech show. I feel, like, I feel like, it, like suddenly we're in, you know, some kind of a ghetto somewhere. <laughs> like it, like it's a junkyard. We're recording this from Memphis, out next to the dog park. Actually, uh, we we are we record this uh, in in a house right next door to Fred Sanford's house. My goodness, Sanford Arms. Yeah, with the Sanford Arms. I love Sanford Arms. Anyway, all right. So Comic Con episode four, fan soap, good stuff. You know, the casual yeah. viewer would actually like it too. Um, Golf's Grand Design, which is the history of American golf course architecture. Now, I'm not a golfer. I don't get golf. I just, I will never get into golf. Likewise. I don't understand it. No. People just, they just absolutely will murder their family yeah. if they could just get another 10 feet out of their, uh, their, their wedge. Yeah. And I just don't get it. I don't either. They're obsessed. I know people who travel the world to just experience different golf courses. Now, the golf courses themselves are gorgeous. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Like, you know, George Carlin has... If I could just run around on them, I'd, that'd be great. Well, but they're you actually, I know. Well, George Carlin has this hilarious bit about how there's, like, there's, there's so much homelessness in the world, yet somehow really, really rich people yeah. pay a lot of money to play on these beautifully manicured, manicured golf courses that are created for rich people by rich people, mostly rich white people. Yep. And uh, Carlin's got a whole run on that. That's really funny. Anyway, but I will say this is that it is interesting, although I don't like golf, I find the design of golf courses to be kind of interesting because there's a lot of uh, detail that goes in that you wouldn't think of. And so uh, golf's grand design is all about that. Wade's trying to hurry me along. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on in Burma right now, but it seems like it might be okay. You know, it's they're, sort of, sort of they're releasing there. their political prisoners now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aung San Suu Kyi is yep. finally out of uh, prison, and, and she she's leaving travel. the country. Yeah. She can travel. So there's good stuff happening. Do we trust it? Don't know. But if you want to look at uh, how they got to this place, you might want to check out uh, Burma, A Human Tragedy, which is a terrific documentary narrated by Angelica Houston. And it's the history of Burma and how the military junta took over 
and uh, turned it into Myanmar, which I still refuse to call it Myanmar, whatever they like yeah, call it, no, Myanmar, it, Myanmar. It'll be Burma again very soon. It'll be Burma again very soon. Anyway, for a history of the country, how it became such, such a tragic situation over there, and how it slowly turned itself around, hopefully check out Burma, Human Tragedy. Wait, awesome. that was pretty fast. That was fast. Thank you. Rocked you. It. you rocked it, Kaiser. Is, is there anything we need to do? Okay, Vox uh, Box. box. Oh, we have, oh, should I sing the song? Do it. It's Vox Box. Hi, Mark and Wade. This is Levy. My question is, do you ever feel a little voyeuristic? I recently attended a play and was struck by how confronting it is um, and felt almost embarrassed about paying to see an actor be so emotionally raw and vulnerable right in front of my eyes. And yet, you know, I've seen much more provoking films without even blinking an eye. So are we film lovers merely voyeurs with a passion for art and talent? Um, That's my question. Thank you, and as always, good job and best wishes. I, I've got to say, Levy Trong, that is the that is the coolest accent. We just we love Australian accents. We, we do. Have, we have a lot of fans in Australia. Uh, Australia. And Ki- Australian and Kiwi accents, I just think are the greatest. They're just the greatest. Can someone build a plane that gets me to Australia in less than eight hours? Because I would go tomorrow. I know. It just seems like a, it's a heck of a That's haul. It. It's exotic. I would it's, love to go. Yeah, same here. We'll do that. We'll we'll, dig, we'll do a remote, right? <laughs> we'll do a remote podcast from Australia. But then we'd be up. But then we'd be upside down. Uh, no. Because it's on the other side of the no world. No. Not upside down. No. Right side up? Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, in answer to Levy's question, um, you know what? It's interesting. That's one of those things that they sort of uh, ramrod down your throat in, uh, in film school and in critical studies classes about the voyeuristic aspect of film. And, you know, are you really just enjoying it? Or are you? Or is there something uh, kind of about watching a movie or a play that is sort of uh, tapping into that part of the psyche that's a little bit twisted? And uh, I think there's probably something to that. I don't know that I am in a position to self analyzed to any great degree um, but I do know that certain films obviously anytime you get a first person film you get things like uh, you know Peeping Tom for example which was one of the first films to really kind of do that and then some of these first person uh, POV lost footage movies that's the whole angle there is to really exploit that aspect of your psyche so I think there's definitely something to it well if you want to watch a film that takes great lengths to almost implicate the audience yeah. in terms of their their willingness to see somebody hurt and to, you know, go along with the violence of the film, go see the original Funny Games. Yeah, for sure. Because in Funny Games, I mean, I, I won't, I'm yeah. not sure if she's seen it or not, but in Funny Games, one of the characters... It really in, invites that. Invites that. Yeah. And that's part of Michael Haneke's yeah. point, that and, and you, are, he, you are implicated in the enjoyment of seeing people be hurt. And anytime you have direct address in a movie where the, a character like Alfie Singer in Annie Hall is addressing the audience, that also invites the audience into a different kind of into, into a participatory role. And frankly, for that matter, you know, I think one of the, the better recent examples of that kind of uh, cinema would be the uh, the Oogie Loves in the in the Great Balloon Adventure, <laughs> because that invited children to dance in the aisles whenever prompted uh, and on screen in the movie. And I think that was enormously successful in doing that, wasn't it, Mark? It, you know, it, it also invited <laughs> critics to uh, write the most hilariously scathing <laughs> reviews ever. But you know what? I, I think ultimately great art is voyeuristic. I mean, you know, when, yeah. when you read a book, for, for sure, when you read a book that gets into the psyche of a serial killer or the psyche of two lovers that is in a sense voyeuristic now the images you're creating in your head but still they are inviting you to create those images 
I think that in great in great paintings and great music, I think all that stuff invites you to maybe tap into visual images or thoughts that might be uncomfortable. You may feel voyeuristic, especially autobiographies. Absolutely. So I think that the best art really does force you to do that. And again, when it comes to films today, most films these days don't invite that kind of participation or immersion. Totally down with it. I agree. So, Libby, thank you so much for your question. Please send us more questions. Anybody out there want to hit us up uh, with an, an email or a Vox box, send it to gods at digigods.com. We, will, we, we beg for this stuff every week, gods at digigods.com. And we, of course, do have a, a little bit of a backlog on our, uh, on our uh, Vox boxes, which we will be getting to. So if you have sent us any and uh, we haven't read them yet, we haven't, we haven't uh, you know, played them yet, by all means, we will be getting to them. Um, we may even do a, two in, in a single week one of these weeks. We uh, I don't know so, why we don't do that well, now. Well, because we've got so many titles to try and get through. Uh, you know, we're going to hit a little bit of television right now. And uh, most importantly, Steve Martin, the television stuff. This is a Shout Factory release, uh, a s- almost seven whopping hours of Steve Martin. Can you handle that much Steve Martin, Mark? I love this collection. By the way, this collection... Includes material that has never been seen ever since well its since originally yes but it's never been released in VA, on VHS not on DVD not in any form and and a lot of it hasn't even been aired uh, uh, since its original airings um, the, here's what's included you get stand up specials. NBC specials and a thing called bits and pieces here, and uh, this is three discs. Of mostly material. from the '70s, by the way. Mostly from the '70s, actually, and the '80s. There's a good bit of stuff from the '80s, uh, but you, you know, the stand-up specials are on location with Steve Martin and uh, homage to Steve, which are amazing. You know, the homage to Steve. Uh, which includes the absent-minded waiter and Steve live at the Universal Amphitheater from 1979. Um, that amphitheater stuff is great. The Universal Amphitheater, I mean, people don't realize what a, what a great venue that was once upon a time. Really just uh, sensational stuff there. I want this. Give me this. Uh, no. no. It's really good. It's it really, really it's good. really really good, and it's and it's an interesting thing to release. I'm I'm more interested in this from the standpoint of who came up with the idea to even do this. You know, because it's not—it's a very unconventional thing. There are a lot of rights clearances to do something like this. There's a lot of work and a lot of expense and a lot of effort involved in doing something that would appear to have, you know, some marginal marketability. I mean, a lot of people love Steve Martin, but do they love him? You know, six and a half, seven hours worth. They, you know, what they do. You know, what this includes like the Great Flydini, which is hilarious. And I remember when I used to collect comedy albums when I was a kid, I had Wild and Crazy Guy, which was hilarious. I had Comedy Is Not Pretty. I had those albums, and this is just great stuff. I cannot recommend how. And the thing is that if you're uh, if you're a uh, listener of uh, a more youthful vintage than Wade and I, you probably just know him from like the Pink Panther horrible movies and the cheaper by the dozen pieces of crap. You know, back in the day, Steve Martin was one is was one of the top stand ups in the in the country. He was. Yeah, it, oh no, for sure. It was sort of like Robin yeah. Williams. Like at the time, Robin Williams, hard to believe now, was one of the craziest, most hilarious and popular sellout amphitheater stand-up comics in the country. And Steve Martin was absolutely hilarious. He killed it on Carson. He killed it during his specials. And um, I do love him. I think it's great. So I cannot recommend Holly enough, at least renting Steve Martin, the television stuff. Six hours of stuff, folks. Come on. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's terrific stuff. Really, have, really good. You're not going to let me have that, are you? Uh, you know, uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. You know. I wish it was on we'll, Blu-ray. We'll see. Why can't it be on Blu-ray, Wade? Okay, uh, I'm going to roll real quickly through a lot of it because these shows don't really warrant a whole lot of discussion, to be honest. Um, Hawaii Five-0, the new Hawaii Five-0. 
Second season on Blu-ray. Uh, the people are too pretty. The shows are not good enough. But you know what? It's really high production value, and you get a lot of extra features on here. Um, it's, it's, you know, beautiful Hawaiian scenery and, and uh, chasing cops around with Scott Kahn on, uh, on the Hawaiian Islands. That's fine. Um, you know, other shows that are, that are coming back that are pushing themselves on uh, DVD, the complete fourth season of The Mentalist, which uh, returns on Mondays on TNT. Um, you know, this show is fine. It's perfectly okay. Simon Baker, who is also Australian, I should add, even though he doesn't uh, speak like an Australian on the show. Uh, this has some uh, featurette material on it, but, uh, you know, The Mentalist has a good following, and it's a decent show. Um, Suburgatory, which is Wednesdays on ABC, is a great show. This is the complete first season. I love this show. Have I mentioned that I love this show? Really? I love Suburgatory. You've never talked about this. I know. I'm, it's, it's a guilty pleasure. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm admitting it. I think this is the greatest show. It really is. Jane Levy is sensational. She's just absolutely awesome. Uh, she and Jeremy Sisto play a, uh, a daughter and her single dad who move from Manhattan out into the weirdest freaking suburbs imaginable. And Cheryl Hines and, um, and uh, Carly Chaikin and... Uh, you know, whole, uh, oh, and uh, uh, Chris Parnell. They're, I they're, think you're they're, lying. They're all just, lying. they're all the weird neighbors. They're all you. the weird neighbors. It's absolutely sensational. Don't believe you. Uh, it's a wonderful show. So well written. So clever. Really? I cannot recommend it enough. The first season, awesome. And then uh, the second season of Blue Bloods, which gave Tom Selleck yet another television lease on life. Uh, you know, this is a good show. Tom Selleck, heavy man. He's heavy. Heavyweight dude, and uh, you know it's it's all about. Uh, it's funny. He, he's you know police commissioner Reagan. I mean, it really it plays up his whole kind of conservative persona. Uh, don't this, they? The character's name is Reagan. Yeah. Oh, stop that, Frank, Frank Reagan. Just uh, don't. Just you know what? <laughs> you know, it, dude, it's it's a cop family show. You know, uh, his son Donnie Wahlberg plays his son. He's a cop. It's you know. It's about the family. It's like The Godfather, except instead of monsters, they're you know cops. You know it's what good. show looks horrible is the Mob Doctor. Oh my that gosh, show looks, it looks dreadful. Terrible. That looks awful. I mean, how many episodes will it be? I can't kill him. It's against Horrendous. my morals. Horrendous. Uh, it's going to be like no, no, every no, episode no, will be that no, crap. No, no, no. And her name is Grace. I, I, you know, there should be a moratorium against shows where women who are put in very difficult situations and must act honorably in them are named Grace. I know. Not good. And then uh, lastly here, before we get to a couple of movies to wrap out the show with, we've got the uh, fourth season of Castle, uh, which is is still on, man. It comes back. ABC on Mondays. It just just keeps plugging and plugging and friggin' plugging along. Season four. uh, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. When this show came on, I thought that is going to tank so hard. That just doesn't even look remotely funny or or even clever or engaging in any kind of a cute, clever way. Just go watch. And uh, somehow it just keeps plugging along. So I don't really get it. Moonlighting. I know exactly. Right. It's like a knockoff moonlighting. But somehow this just, it's got all kinds of extras on it. It's got, you know, featurettes galore. And it, uh, it's, look, it's a cheap deal moonlighting knockoff. It really is. It's like Remington Steel. It's, it's all of those. Somehow it keeps going. I didn't like Remington Steel. Well, that was, the, that was Glenn Gordon Karen's tryout for moonlighting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the idea was cool. Eh, whatever. Like a, almost like a Cyrano de bergerac kind of a thing. Yes, I suppose. And then, um, just so that I can rip on him a little bit, you know, uh, Cabin in the Woods was Joss Whedon's big, stupid, dumb, lame, genre mashup, idiotic uh, vanity piece earlier in the year before he finally redeemed himself with the Avengers. I gotta say, by the way, did you hear what he just sold at Toronto? 
he like basically took a camera and invited a bunch of his friends over and filmed some kind of a bargain basement version of Much Ado About Nothing in his house. You know, he, and then they sold that at Toronto as a did, movie. He did that a long time ago. He did that. I, I bet he did that almost two years ago. Good grief! He just did that. And then in the wake of the Avengers, like he he could just he could say, "Look, this is a video of uh, of my flowers in the garden," yes, and that'll sell at Toronto. That's true. Because he did the Avengers, they can actually say, "Look, garden footage from the director of the Avengers." Yeah, but that's Whatever. not opening in, th- in four thousand theaters. I know, but still, it's silly. Anyway, uh, you know, Cabin in the Woods just did not work for me. I get it; it's like a fanboy thing where you know it's sort of it winks and nudges and references. It looks like it's at first going to be some kind of a you know kids go out to a, in the middle of nowhere and get killed by a slasher movie, but then it's got this like gigantic epic, you know, science fiction fantasy backstory to it that there's this government thing going on apparently and people are watching them and they're being manipulated and then somehow this entails the entire history of monsters on Earth and every kind of mythic lore imaginable and it just blows up to a ridiculous degree. It's a silly movie. It's a silly, silly movie and I know it's a fanboy's wet dream but I just thought it was awful. It is, um, it's out on Blu-ray and digital copy and ultraviolet all rammed together on the same uh, Blu-ray and uh, you know what, look, you get a commentary with Drew Goddard, who co-wrote it with, uh, with Joss Whedon, um, and uh, Drew Goddard, who directed it, by the way, I should point out. It's not directed by, by Joss Whedon. It's his script. You know, it's, a, it's Drew Goddard who wrote uh, Cloverfield. It's his directing effort. But uh, it's Whedon's baby. It's we- just screams Whedon throughout from top to bottom. And uh, a bunch of featurettes, and, you know, that's it. Wait, um... Is it better than Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3, Viva oh. La Fiesta? Oh, gosh. You know what's awesome about Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3 is that it has all sorts of cute doggies, and the doggies play instruments, and the doggies and the doggy bands have funny names like Black mm-hmm. Labeth yeah. and uh, Oreo Tailwagon. Oh, gosh. And the Black Eyed Fleas. Heaven help And Lady Gaga on the Tramp. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Are you serious? The doggies, they're so cute. Uh. Okay, the, the movie sucks. Why is there a third one of these? Well, because they're cheap, and uh, oh and they and, and George Lopez will talk it up on you know talk it up on a talk show somewhere, and uh, dogs are cute. Anyway, there's two wow. discs. One is the Blu-ray. One's the DVD. I mean, Beautiful. must I tell you if this is good? No. It's, uh, come on. And uh, then a really unfortunate movie that is yet another vanity project of sorts. Uh, this is directed by a guy named Dean Wright, who's a special effects guy who really should not be directing. He should be doing special effects. Uh, For greater glory is the true story of Cristiada. Uh, this is Andy Garcia and uh, Eva Longoria and a bunch of other actors just way, way the heck overacting to an uh, unbelievably embarrassing melodramatic degree in a movie that is based on a true event, which is in the 1920s, uh, the Mexican government fell under the control of a president who basically started imposing all kinds of outrageous laws about what the Catholic clergy could and could not do. It was persecution of the Catholic Church. And um, they, it essentially turned into almost a civil war as uh, you had these rebel groups uh, emerge and coalesce to, in this case, led by Andy Garcia, who's a former general. And uh, they, you know, they're trying to get their freedom back, freedom for the Catholic Church. And Eva Longoria plays Andy Garcia's wife and is really, really overacting. And uh, Peter O'Toole is in this uh, for about five seconds as a priest who gets shot to death in an execution, in, like in the first five minutes of the movie. And then he's gone. And he's now retired from movies, and this will be the last role he will ever be known for. Uh, this is a silly movie. It means to be kind of epic and inspirational and old school, but it really is. It's very silly, and I did not enjoy it in the least. This is a Blu-ray, Blu-ray DVD combo, and, um, you know, there, there it is. And let's see. Uh, go, Wade, go. 
We got time for. I, I have to go to my boxing aerobics class in a uh, few minutes. Oh, oh, Bobby. Nice. I swear to God, my second one, boxing aerobics class. Very nice. Uh, you know what? Here we go. I talked about this on the radio the other day, and why not? The victim. This is uh, Michael Bean's directing debut. Uh, Michael Bean, of course, from The Terminator, and he made this for about $500,000 with his wife. And it is the cheapest, low-budget, kind of semi, uh, well, action thriller, semi-horror thing I've ever seen. Basically, uh, a couple of bad cops are out uh, showing a couple of girls a good time somewhere in the Topanga Canyon area. And one of them accidentally gets shot, and then the other one runs away, and they chase her down, and she runs across some guy, played by Michael Bean, who's that, you know, it's his wife, basically, in real life. She runs away and finds his loner living in the woods, and... When the bad cops show up, suddenly it's mono against m- m- meno. <laughs> so it's mono against mono. Men- mono against meno, <laughs> and um, you know it, it, it's just cheesy. It feels like a real grindhouse film, and I'm not sure whether or not it, it was supposed to be like that. So if you if you go looking for a film that feels like some kind of a '60s exploitation, uh, low budget thing that was shot in Topanga. Except that it was shot in 2011 in Topanga, then you're in for a treat. If you're expecting a movie that feels like a real movie, boy, are you going to be disappointed. And Michael Bean actually inserts a sex scene with his wife. Isn't that lovely? He and his wife have a sex scene in the movie together. You know, There's something very, very um, exhibitionistic about that. You know, lovely is like over here, and then what you just said is way <laughs> over here. All right, that's it. We are done. Mark's going to go to his uh, his aerobics and chocolate class. No, boxing. It? It's boxing. boxing aerobics. Is this is this a dating thing now? No. Well, it, sort of. Real quick, I'll tell this in thirty seconds. Okay. My mother is. My mother rips into me yes. the other week because she says I'm not married. So she says you should take boxing classes because you know boxing will get your confidence up. So I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to take boxing. But then I wind up talking to another friend of mine who does love boxing, mm. and she says if you take a boxing class, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. So I'm like, all right, you know what? If someone's going to go with me, it'll uh, make it more fun. So last week I took a boxing aerobics class. Yeah. You probably burn half your body weight in 35 minutes. Yes. Because it is so intense. Look, I used to I used to take Kenpo Karate, and those group sessions were the most insane workout that I ever had in my life. I, I, I don't ever. know that I can do it every week because uh, it just it really is a lot of work. Yeah. But uh, you will you will burn, man. You nice. will want you will want to keel over and die by the time it's over. Fist bump, bro. For boxing. Yeah.